The Start On Demand. On demand. The coronavirus in China continues to gain global headlines, and as we prepare for the coronavirus to possibly come to Canada, we ask, what lessons did we learn from SARS? We speak with Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman from Clinic Psychology Manitoba and Winnipeg Love, as he is very excited about Bernie Wolf Community School in Transcona, which actually is celebrating everything. We meet comedian Charles Haycock, who tells us, Give up early. And Mr. Peanut is dead? Who's your favorite mascot? And which mascot would you like to see head off the cliff with the peanut? I'm Brett McGarry. Alongside Greg Mackling and Loren McNabb, we are Mackling, McGarry, and McNabb. And this is the Thursday, January 23rd podcast for The Start. i got to ask you this out of the gate, Greg, because uh, I know you're on Twitter all the time. You too, McNabb. Uh, I'm not. No, Greg is like, I sometimes wonder if he has it connected to his brain somehow. Because oh, yes. Like, you'll be, out, you'll be out wherever, yeah. and you'll get those alerts. You know, we have our little app, our little chat, chat set up for us. And all of a sudden, I'll be like, bing, bing. What do you guys think about this? Ooh, this is interesting. I'm like, what is Greg doing now? Like, I think he's napping, but it's filtering through his body. He's created his own news app that, like, disseminates information. The Greg app. So The Grap. When you saw that, like, when I opened Twitter yesterday and saw Mr. Peanut was trending, I thought, what? So what's going on with the peanut? Mr. Peanut is dead, plain and simple. After 104 years... They have planters has killed them off. So I this think, is the peanut with the monocle. Yes. In all the advertisements Correct. over how many years? Decades? 104 how, years. Wow. 10, 10 decades okay. plus. And they've decided that they're going to move on from Mr. Peanut, but have they? This is the thing. This is a part of their Super Bowl commercial. Oh, here we go. And their marketing strategy. So how many times has Superman died and come back in the comic books? Oh, God, I don't know. Right? I'm just throwing it out there that I wouldn't be having any funerals for Mr. Peanut quite yet. We can mourn his loss, but I have a sense that (laughs) it might only be a couple of weeks long. I don't have any information. Inside information, but uh, when I saw the commercial, uh, Wesley Snipes is in it. Yep. And and who's the other guy? I recognize his face. Matt Walsh. Who's that? He's in Veep. He was the oh, doctor yeah, in the Hangover. In Veep. Yeah. Right. That's why I knew him right away. Yeah. He was also the doctor in the Hangover, and uh, he's sort of one of those that guy. He's that guy. Yeah. He's that. Oh, I, I know that guy. Yeah. I re- <laughs> that you know you, you know the face, but you don't quite know the name. It's an odd pairing. Matt Walsh and Wesley Snipes. It was like, what, who, what random actors can we stuff into this commercial? Right. I think uh, otherwise known as the that guys they could to afford. <laughs> but you know what? We've got some heavy stuff to talk about this morning. So we want to come back to the Mr. Peanut conversation because it's funny. If you're looking for some lighthearted stuff, the killing off of Mr. Peanut on Twitter has created some hilarious responses from people like someone writing that you could never kill the Mr. Peanut inside my heart. And then another one says, now that Mr. Peanut is gone, Pillsbury Doughboy better sleep with both eyes open. Because his days are freaking numbered, man. Well, I was looking up uh, surveys on the most popular and the best brand mascots of all time. Mr. Peanut is ranked number two on one oh, of the lists. Really? Right after the Michelin Man. Oh, the Michelin Man. In terms That's of recognizability one. and how they've done. But then the Laughing Cow is number three, and I don't know. No. And Mickey Mouse is number four no. on this list. All of these are a no for me. Well, 
What do you mean? In what I, sense? Don't kill off Mickey Mouse? Or? I just, they're not, just, I'm not feeling them. Do you, do you not think, I think Mickey Mouse is the most iconic of but all that's the... not a, that's not a, he's a cartoon character in a show. Yeah. He's not a mascot. He's not, he's not Kool-Aid man. Or oh, no, Green Giant. Kool-Aid's num- yeah. Kool-Aid's number eight. Or Mr. Clean. He's not those things. Mickey Mouse is a different, that's in a different genre of the right word. Like that doesn't belong in this list. He is technically, though, the mascot, the spokesperson of Disney. Mm. Spokes, mouse. <laughs> I don't know. Gotta be politically correct these days. <laughs> don't want to hear from the uh, from the mouse community today. <laughs> oh, please can I share Scott's text right now? Because sure, you know sure. I love a pun. Mr. Peanut is dead. Come on, they are just pulling your legume. Oh, oh my word. <laughs> oh, Scott, thank you. I love that. Oh, that's great. You would be forgiven if you had hoped last year was just an anomaly when it comes to crime. Forgiven if you had hoped it was just a bad year, just a blip. But it's very clear that 2020 has started off just as 2019 ended. With homicides, gun calls, assaults, and more. Winnipeg police sharing with us yesterday the tragic news that the city has recorded its fourth homicide of the year. And a reminder, it's uh, not the end of January yet. The most recent case involves the death of a three-month-old baby boy. Police were called to the Lord Roberts neighborhood January 11th for a report of an unconscious infant. That baby was rushed to hospital in critical condition with internal injuries but died four days later. 29-year-old Matthew Moreau has been arrested and charged with both manslaughter and aggravated assault. We're still working on what the relationship may have been between the accused and the child, this baby boy. But Constable Rob Carver says the accused did live in the same house with this baby. So manslaughter is a charge where there's a lower degree of intent than, say, second or for sure first degree murder. Um, I can tell you that based on the totality of evidence, the nature of the injuries, um, information that was obtained from the scene as well as from that interview would have confirmed that. Now, we know it's been a taxing 18 months for police. And this morning we have new numbers illustrating just how calls for help have risen. Now, I know numbers and radio don't always go together, but I'm going to do my best here just to lay it out for you. In 2014, that's just five years ago, because we only have numbers, obviously, up until the end of 2019, there were about 203,000 calls for service. That number includes 911 calls from the public and police-initiated calls. We're, we're working out exactly what that means, Loren, but we believe that's Police calling other police for backup right. and other associated uh, calls, internal communication and requests for help. By the end of 2019, that number had risen to 231,668, almost 232,000. That's an increase of 29,000 calls. Winnipeg's population, because a lot of folks will say, hey, how does that correlate to our population rise? Well, Winnipeg's population is increasing. It increased just over 8% in that period from 2014 to 2019. Calls for service, events for service, as it's described in the communique to us, have increased by 12%. So if we can put that simply, the calls for service have outpaced population growth by 50%. So we've got 30,000 more calls for service over the past five years from police. That's a rise of 12%, which is far more than our population growth. We've got additional questions for police about, well, have their staff gone up 
by 12%? I think we know the answer is is no, but we do want to ask that question. But the numbers show, they paint the picture that they've been talking about for months now, that crime, violent crime, is greatly straining their resources. We've discussed it extensively with you, our listeners, over the past year. And we know that in November, as a result of the rise in crime, police announced that they were going to reorganize, rejig their services, moving people back to major crimes, back to homicide, back to other areas out of, say, traffic or even, you know, their drunk driving unit because they just needed more help in those violent crime areas. Global's Joe Scarpelli, when asking police yesterday, you reorganized in November. Is this temporary move really temporary or how much longer might we be facing this it was back in november when chief danny Smythe said police were going to be cutting back on the annual check stop program and closing district stations to the public so he can redeploy officers to address the growing number of murders and violent crimes more investigators continue to work in homicide and we're told it's helped the, the department catch its breath but that doesn't mean they're not still busy far from it Constable Rob Carver can't say when things will return to normal. There's a number of aspects to the restructuring. By and large, I can tell you that we're still evaluating that. Um, specifically in terms of homicide, I don't see the additional personnel on homicide um, being pulled out at any time soon. Now, Carver says he's never walked into the homicide unit and not seen it busy. Again, the death of the baby boy this month is Winnipeg's fourth homicide of the year. For reference, Toronto, with about four times the population, has also seen four homicides this year. And guns remain a big part of the equation. At 745, we're going to share with you more about a home on Pacific in the Brooklyn's neighborhood that's been targeted several times by gunshots. Now, when we say several times by gunshots, I was at, they called it, I think, Comerica Park, once upon a time in the south side of Chicago where the Chicago White Sox play. This is back in 1988. And I can remember seeing a bullet hole in one of the uh, glass windows that separate you from the ticket agent. And I'd heard stories about citizens in that part of Chicago using the upper deck for mm. target practice. And I'm talking like one off here and there. You've seen these photos, Loren, yeah, the and pictures, the video? It's incredible because when they say the house has been targeted by guns, uh, I'll try. I'll go take a screen grab of our video that we got from Global News and try to share it with our listeners because it the paint there's there's more holes in the paint and the siding of the house than there is spots without holes or fragments from police or sorry fragments from bullets. And police are trying to figure out who's doing this, who's targeting this house. The doors have been shattered. The windows have been shattered. One of the windows was boarded up. And I'm, I'm not, I don't know enough about guns, so it could have been a shotgun that sprays, right, that hits the side of a house and therefore creates that kind of damage. But police were saying it's happened so many times over the past four months. They've got no leads on it, whether the people in, in that house or the neighborhood are too scared to talk. Who's to say what's at play? But they're putting a call out to public saying, if you know, if you have surveillance video, I mean, that's an example. If, if, you, if police have to go back to the same house two, three, four, five times in a given period. Not only is that incredible stress in the neighborhood, but the police have to keep running into the same situation. Here's the commercial that debuted on Twitter yesterday involving Mr. Peanut. I'll just die in your arms tonight. Oh, look out! Oh! Abandon that! Matt, let go. No, you let go. Hey, Mr. Peanut, no, you don't. Don't do it, Mr. Peanut. No! No! 
Maybe he'll be all right. Maybe not. So Mr. Peanuts in a van with Wesley Snipes and actor uh, Matt Walsh, and then they they crash the car. The three of them go through the windshield, and then they're hanging uh, on a thin branch off of a cliff, and Mr. Peanut sacrifices himself. He lets go and plummets to the ground, lands on the van as it explodes. This is part of their Super Bowl marketing, and they're going to broadcast his funeral during the third quarter. So who knows if Mr. Peanut is actually dead. Did they show the body? Did he turn into peanut butter? Yeah. Oh. Could be roasted peanuts yeah. that they're debuting oh, here. Who <laughs> knows? Because of the fiery crash. But they're getting the biggest bang. Sorry for the sure they are. for their buck at five point six million dollars per thirty second commercial this wow. year for Super Bowl fifty four. So ooh, ooh. why not drag this out over a couple of weeks? And this is I know we've seen the ads released early before, but this is a, a good move I think by Planters. But it has it us asking who are your favorite mascots, and maybe more importantly, which one would you send over a cliff? Grimace. Ronald McDonald. (laughs) (laughs) Are you sending Grimace over the cliff? I'm throwing it. Yeah. What is he? He can get in a car with Ronald McDonald and they can... You do uh, yeah, the Hamburger Louise right out with them, too. The oh, wow. Boy. No, really getting along, eh? I love the McDonald's mascots. Why do we hate them so much? Well, they're evil, for one thing. <laughs> what? What is Grimace? <laughs> what, what, he's, a, he's a burglar. No, He's what you look Grimace. like after you eat a Grimace. McDonald's all year. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is Grimace not the burglar? No, that's the hamburger. The hamburger. Oh, the Grimace yeah. is the purple guy. Yeah. 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 I heard he's a taste bud. No way. Come on. I think he's related to Gritty. (laughs) Did you hear hear about Gritty? He makes the secret sauce. What about Gritty? Gritty's in trouble. This is the Philadelphia Flyers mascot? Yes. And what did he do? Well, he's under investigation for slapping a kid in the back. Oh, boy. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly punching someone. Well, okay, I was going to say Gritty (laughs) is my favorite current mascot mm-hmm. but uh, take that take that incident out yes uh, his debut was extraordinary his social media is hilarious and w- people were sort of outraged at first because they thought this is such a goofy scary looking mascot but I loved mm-hmm. it I thought this is so insane uh, it just I, has to work yeah did you see the time when he uh, put the shaving cream all over Kyle Bukowskis no on hockey night in Canada oh. <laughs> Kyle's trying to do a stand up <laughs> <laughs> Along comes Gritty with a can of shaving cream. <laughs> Google it. It is hilarious. Yeah, he's yeah. great. He's he's the best of mascots and the yes. worst yeah. all at the same time. What do you think, Kelly? Well, as long as I don't have to send them over a cliff because it was supposed to be our favorite, right? So as a kid growing up, uh, the the leprechaun for uh, Ir- Lucky Charms, mm. the Irish leprechaun, he was my favorite. Uh, but now I, I would have to say that probably Travago guy. I know he's not really like a mascot, but... Like the, like the he's gnome? a mascot. Is that the gnome? No, no it's no, the no. guy Travago at the, ho- guy. the hotel. Oh, it's the actual hotel, hotel guy. guy. Yeah. You like him or you want Travago. him to go? Pardon me? No, no, no. I, I, now I, I, I like the guy. I, I love the, the commercials that he does, and you know, especially when he's standing at the counter in this latest one where this woman's all, yeah, I get in a hotel room with Wi-Fi down at 20, <laughs> and he gets his for 95. Uh, I love how <laughs> Kelly likes him because he's thrifty. Yes. Well, you know it, baby. It's a human being, though. I don't know if he'd love being called a mascot, but well, still. Well, never mind. One of our text messages that just came in, the mascot that needs to go is that St. Boniface Hospital lottery mascot, I think. I think they call him Greg Mackling. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> so there you go, along the same lines, guys. So uh, you can be St. Boniface guy with Trivago guy. Yeah. yeah. Great. <laughs> Someone else texted that the Pillsbury Doughboy needs to go to save all the overweight Pop kids and from fresh. being poked mm. and expected to laugh. And that was a thing when you were That little. was on my list yeah. of cool ones. Well, I, li- I like the Pillsbury Doughboy, unless, but I have seen people poke a kid and say, like, when I was growing up, and then waiting for the kid to go, Woo-hoo! Oh, yeah, no, no, I've seen that too. And that's so mean. What a mean thing to do to... I do that to lots of people. Because, <laughs> do you really? Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. If they got a bit of a belly. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> Is the Kool-Aid Man still a thing? Yes. Because that, that would be one of my favorites. Oh, yeah. Oh, actually, the Kool-Aid Man, I found this. That he uh, did a Christmas song with Little John. <laughs> what? what? Wait, wait, wait. Like the rapper Little John? No, Robin Hood. No, no, no. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. That's right. The only problem with Kool-Aid guys, the path of destruction he leaves yeah. behind when he comes over to your house. It's not good. Drywall and you gotta restud the wall. He makes such a mess. Yeah. But he's so refreshing. You'd be restudying and be like, oh true. god, I feel good with this Kool-Aid in me. <laughs> Just don't come back, Kool-Aid guy. People are getting pretty uh, mean this morning. We had somebody like send Gainer over a cliff. Bruce What's says, mean oh, about uh, that? That sounds yeah. great to me. Rackling <laughs> texted it. Greg, Greg, just can't find a cliff in Saskatchewan. Somebody wants to kill off the Energizer Bunny. That's from listener Greg. Yeah. And then uh, uh, another one wrote about, and I've just lost it. Oh, the Michelin Man. They'd like to see him run over repeatedly. <laughs> By a bus. By a bus. Not even bus. just with the car. Like, they want to get the Michelin Man good. Jeez, people. Ouch. We want to continue the discussion on the coronavirus. And we know this morning that public health agencies across the country are really ramping up their preparations for the possibility that coronavirus could soon land in Canada. We know it's in the States and in many other countries around the world. And we know that the World Health Organization is preparing to give more information potentially today on whether or not to declare this outbreak that started in China a global health emergency. They started those meetings yesterday. They've gone into a second day because they said they needed more information. And information is key here. We've got lots of questions about this virus for our next guest. And questions also as to whether Canada has a better and stronger system in place to deal with this, particularly because we've been down this road in some ways before with the MERS, or MERS rather, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, H1N1, and SARS. Dr. Brian Schwartz is the Vice President of Public Health Ontario, and he was also Vice Chair of Ontario's SARS Advisory Committee. Uh, That disease, of course, killed 44 Canadians at least 15 years ago, and Dr. Brian Schwartz joins us now. Good morning. Good morning. When we look back on that disease, and I want to start there, Dr. Schwartz, there's a lot of people who would say that, that SARS, that we had to learn a lot from it because when it hit Canada first, we didn't necessarily respond in the right way. What do you say to that when it comes to the communication and, and how the response plan was initially put in place those, all those years ago? Well, uh, uh, you know, SARS was, was, was kind of a perfect storm uh, in Ontario, uh, such that, uh, you know, we, we, we were not prepared. Um, you know, we had, uh, we had really very little ability to, uh, to detect the virus, either by getting uh, uh, information from abroad, from China, uh, and decoding it, uh, or even detecting it when it came into our, uh, uh, into our city in Toronto. Uh, secondly, we, uh, 
we didn't have uh, good infection prevention control. I mean, people just didn't think about it because we thought antibiotics would kill everything. And then lastly, we didn't have a system response. I mean, we just, the hospitals were, were independent and, and public health and hospitals didn't talk to each other very often. Certainly as an emergency physician at our largest trauma center uh, in Toronto at the time, you know, I, I very rarely spoke to public health. So things have changed. I mean, we had a huge level of soul searching. It, it certainly changed my professional trajectory. I ended up in public health. And, uh, and I think uh, the system across Canada and many places in the world is much better prepared for lots of reasons. The other thing, I just, you know, we were also unlucky with SARS because the first patient, ground zero patient, never encountered the medical system in Toronto. She died at home. And the first patient that did encounter the medical system didn't have a travel history. So there were some delays in picking it up, and we know better now. You mentioned China, of course, is a big part of this equation. And there's some people who would say now, are we really supposed to trust the information that comes from China? Greg, uh, my colleague Greg, was just reading some new information out of there right now, Greg. Yeah, BBC is reporting. This is as of 20 minutes ago. Wuhan and now Huanggang is the second city on what we would consider lockdown. Authorities have suspended planes and trains in and out of Wuhan. By the way, that's a city of 11 million people. All the public transportation within the city has been shut down, and similar measures will take effect in nearby Huanggang, a city of more than 7 million people as of midnight. So this is an extraordinary effort to contain this virus, Dr. Schwartz. Indeed. Wow. I mean, I heard this last night, uh, at least with respect to Wuhan, the city of Wuhan, and it really is an extraordinary measure. I mean, it is reminiscent of, uh, you know, the the plague uh, actions that were taken. Uh, in the 19th century and early 20th century by cities because they just just didn't know what else to do. Uh, One might say it's an extension of what we would call the precautionary principle, which we want to exercise. The question is, how far do you go? Well, we we asked this about China and the, the efforts that they're making now. Does it give you faith that they've learned too? again with that sort of I don't want to I don't know if suspicion is the right word, but the lack of faith that people might put in some of the authorities in China to properly share information. The fact that they've taken these measures, does that give you at least hope that they, too, have learned from different outbreaks that they need to do a better job of containment? Well, Loren, I like you you know, don't know how much of the information is accurate or not. But, but, uh, but certainly they, it's, it's, it's a clear indication that they're taking this very, very seriously, whether it is a reaction to what's actually going on in the, on the ground or a reaction uh, to show the world that they're on top of it, where, you know, uh, where they, because they, they, they lacked confidence uh, in, in the world knowing what they were doing. I'm not sure, um, and I'm not sure whether it may be too little too late, because uh, clearly there there are cases in many areas outside of Wuhan province, uh, and they're they're trying to just get a handle on it and show the world they're doing something, as well as uh, perhaps trying to to, uh, limit further transmission. But it's still out. Obviously, uh, there are incredibly uh, incalculable economic ramifications in terms of uh, putting a travel ban in place and some of the things that we did see with SARS, Dr. Schwartz. There are so many things to take into consideration before they take the steps that might, in retrospect, look like the right thing to do. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's it's... You can't argue, I guess, with with going too far 
uh, too far over the top. But the question is, are there are there are there ramifications that might do more harm than good? Uh, you, you may recall a lot of this discussion during Ebola uh, in 2013 as to what the right things to do with respect to travel restrictions would be. And again, I, I, it's really hard to determine what, uh, what effect quarantine has when you weigh the risks and the benefits to it. Um, and only time will tell. If I'm sitting at home and listening to this and we've got just about 30 seconds, you know, we never want to hit the panic button on anything. We've, we've seen viruses like this before. What can I just do, just precautionary measures right now while I wait for authorities to do what they need to do in this country? What can I do as a Manitoban to protect myself? Well, in, in, in Canada, we, we need to remember a couple of things. We, what we do know about coronaviruses is that they don't transmit very easily. It's not like influenza. You're not going to get it at the local Tim Hortons or on the subway here in Toronto or on public transit. You're, it's transmissible in healthcare settings, and it's transmissible in close living, uh, people living closely together. We know that. So what you want to do is not avoid community stuff, but, when you, but certainly the healthcare sector needs to be protected. It needs to isolate people and identify people with, a, with febrile respiratory illness who have traveled and uh, enact, which we know, we know what we have to do now, proper infection prevention and control uh, procedures in those settings. Generally, you should do what you would ordinarily do to prevent transmission of any respiratory disease. Cough into a tissue or your, or your hand or, or your arm or sleeve, your arm or sleeve, not your hand, and wash your hands frequently and stay home when you're sick. Dr. Brian Schwartz, Vice President of Public Health Ontario, also Vice Chair of Ontario's SARS Advisory Committee. Thank you very much for joining us today. We appreciate it, sir. My pleasure. Our friend, Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman, who is with Clinic Psychology Manitoba and Winnipeg Love, tweeted something out yesterday from an Elizabeth Linton, who says, we are working hard at Bernie Wolf Community School in Transcona, yeah, Transcona, to include everyone and celebrate everything. So far this year, we have celebrated Diwali, Christmas, Kolyada, and Chinese New Year 2020 and are looking forward to celebrating Ramadan. And there are some pictures here of the students uh, and the various celebrations that they have had. And Raymond joins us in studio First of all, good morning to you, sir. Good morning to you, too. And this is something you've been talking about for a long time. You put this on your uh, Instagram as well, where you say, and I'm just pulling up the post here, this is good news. Bernie Wolf School is actually celebrating everything. This is the future of Canada, and it began at this school. And you tagged the mayor, Brian Bowman and Brian Pallister. Yes, I did. (laughs) So uh, obviously your reaction is jubilation at seeing this news. Yeah, and I'll tell you why. Um, So I've been harping on this issue for a very, very long time. And, you know, a lot of people agree with this idea. There's, you know, people don't always reject it, but people don't always follow through with it. Um, and when it is, there's a sense of tokenism about how it happens. Now, there's been good news is so there's several school divisions that I've spoken to that have asked me to come out and train, including the school division and the school uh, of uh, Miss Elizabeth Linton there. Um, but this has gone beyond tokenism. This is the actual celebration of different holidays. Like the foyer is like lit up in celebration. Uh, and to me, that's the difference here, right? It goes beyond a sense of tokenistic, uh, which I think. Uh, it becomes patronizing. You know, here's your little biscuit and now you can leave. This is like now starting to celebrate everything at the same level. This is Canada. 
Um, and I actually reached out to Miss Linton, and uh, and she said here, um, I'll, I'll say I, I want to say exactly what she says. Um, I believe it's vitally important to not only not only for students but also for the families and the staff to feel like they are part of the school community, which I refer to as a family in a school of assemblies. I think deeply about the difference between multi-ethnic and being a multicultural school, for they are very different in my mind. I want to move from one to the other. Schools reflect society. Mm. And, uh, and she says here, I believe in a diverse Canada. It is who we are as Canadians. Define well, that difference. Sorry, Loren, define that difference between ethnic and cultural. Well, multi-ethnic. I, I, I always say that I think we, we, we've always lived in a multi-ethnic Canada. We've always had diversity here. Um, I mean, the fact that Canada is an indigenous country suggests that we've always had that diversity here. Um, have we practiced multiculturalism? I would say we haven't. Um, we may have the presence of different people, mm. but how much we pull those people into our culture and celebrate that. You know, are we truly multicultural? And we, we haven't been, but this, this is the beginning. So there's been some amazing schools, uh, you know, in St. James School Division who've, who've started to move in this direction, but this, this is different. And, you know, one of the things that Miss Linton said, she said, because um, I reached out to her after this tweet, uh, after she put up this tweet, and she said, uh, I said, well, how'd you do this? And the interesting thing is the big thing that stands in the way that a lot of people say is, well, we don't have the budget, you know, somehow budget, you know, we, we, the cost to human belonging is budget. Mm-hmm. Um, but she found this budget and she said it actually wasn't that expensive. Uh, she told me that uh, for Chinese New Year, they got 800 fortune cookies. And she said it only cost $72. Right. Right. Like, and think about this like, if we have a Christmas celebration at our school or a holiday celebration yeah. or a Halloween, parents are often just asked to bring in some treats. So right. if you were someone who celebrated Diwali or another right. uh, 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 holiday, Tell us what you'd eat at that time, and maybe we all work pitch in to bring in whatever totally. the food. That's usually how I, nobody's turning to the school anymore to pay for a lot of things. So there's yes. lots of ways to incorporate. Oh wow, we've got this kid in our classroom. That's right. He comes from such and such a country. Yeah. What would be important to him? Let's go to his family and see what we yeah. could contribute for this day. Well, I mean, the truth is, is that people often think we've done enough, and we haven't actually. Um, um, the mayor had been reached out to about this at one point in time by another news agency, and they'd said, you know, what are you going to do about this? And the, the response from the mayor's office was pretty much, we're doing enough, and we're not doing enough. You know, uh, we need to go beyond a tokenistic acknowledgement of people at City Hall and actually, you know, spread this across the city because that's how thinking changes. Well, maybe we go to the schools more then because the schools, yeah. if you walk into a sc- any school I've been to these days, yeah. it, the diversity that you see in most schools in Winnipeg is so remarkable and wonderful. Yeah. And I think if we grew up in a different system, we might not recognize that yeah. at my age because that's not necessarily yeah. how I grew up in. But right. the schools are where we, we start the change. Well, I think that, you know, uh, Ms. Linton said, best. The schools reflect society. And I think if those children are there, it means their parents and families are out there too. So yes, we started schools, but I think the schools have done a really good job. I think the, the schools are the ones reaching out to try to see what they can do. I'm saying we need to go further. It can't be starting at one point. We need to be looking at the citywide. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the acknowledgement and the difference between celebration and acknowledgement. I think the Winnipeg Jets exemplified that last Friday yes, night. Yes, they did. I was right? excited to see that. You have They've been acknowledging the Treaty 1 yes. uh, statement that we've become accustomed to hearing at a lot of presentations. That's the acknowledgement. Yeah. But to take it one step further with Wasak Night and to have yeah. 
a choir of young people singing O Canada. Yeah. First of all, that they have learned O Canada in Ojibwe or yes. in Cree, whatever their native tongue yes. might be. Yeah. And then to actually celebrate those cultures the way they did. That That's a whole other step. And Absolutely. the energy in the building when that was taking place was palpable. Yeah, what I think we need to real. I mean, ultimately, this all comes down to a sense of belonging and who we see ourselves as. Who are we as Canadians? Um, we are not just, you know, a group of white people. We are a diverse group of people, and all of us need to be really proud of that. You know, I need to be proud of the fact that Christmas is being celebrated, that Diwali is being celebrated. I might not hold that as a personal thing in my household, but as a Canadian, I need to feel proud of the fact that I come from a heritage that accepts all kinds of people, but we need to move towards that. We move from being multi-ethnic, just a simple presence of people, mm -hmm. to being multicultural, where we pull in people, we pull in their cultures, and it all becomes a part of who we are. And there's a sense, a great sense of pride in that in being Canadian. Well, we have multicultural festiv festivals all year long. You know, we spoke to A.Y. DeSenator about the Africana Ed Carnival yeah. last year. And, you know, there's Chinese festivals. There are festivals that happen through the city all year. So the, the culture is still being celebrated. How would government getting involved make things different? And, you know, I would argue that we are not celebrating those cultures. So when we, when we do things like, let's say, for example, Folklorama, which are great, but they were great in the 70s. I mean, let's be honest, you know, when we look at things like those things, we, number one, when we look at uh, organizations or celebrations like Folklorama, they they reflect a bit of um, a stereotype view, right? This is what we did, quote unquote, back home. Well, the truth is, this is home now. The question is, what is that culture to us here, right? How I practice my culture like my culture is a mixture, right? Like, yes, you know, I have a Muslim culture, a Zanzibari culture, but but I, I can't escape the Canadian aspect. That's a part of who I am. It's like the coining of the phrase Chrismica, you know, when you yeah. combine all sorts of different exactly. religions or faiths, you might what, not. What, what did you call Chrismica, it? Like Hanukkah <laughs> and Christmas. You might, people, people don't necessarily do just one thing mm. anymore. They might do three or four depending on their background. Absolutely, right? Uh, Halloween is not a part of my tradition. My kid loves Halloween. <laughs> like we do up Halloween big time. And that's a part of who I am. So the question is, what is that culture to us here? Now, when we have smaller communities come out and celebrate, like, you know, the African community, uh, the Chinese community, those are those groups stepping up. They have to break a lot of barriers to step up. When leadership and government takes control, and this becomes not just something put on the responsibility of, you know, you know the smaller communities, but now on all of us, that educates and informs every single person. You know, why are there red lights up? Well, it's the Lunar New Year. It's Chinese New Year. Oh, well, tell me about that. You know, why are there blue lights up? Well, it's, you know, it's Rosh Hashanah. Tell me. Oh, you mean Hanukkah wasn't the big deal? No, Hanukkah is a tiny holiday. It's not as big as Rosh Hashanah. Now we educate and inform. And when we integrate that into our society, this becomes the standard. This becomes the norm. And when it's the norm, it becomes a part of our culture, right? As opposed to the other. Because what's happening now is that Anytime it becomes tokenistic, anytime it becomes patronizing, people from those communities are always the other. And as long as we have the other, we have hate, we have discrimination, we have ignorance. And so that's, that's where we try to resolve all of this by making the other a part of us. Our guest is Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman. He is with Clinic Psychology Manitoba and Winnipeg Love and Loren 
We wanted to talk more about the stress that our frontline emergency workers are dealing with. Well, I don't think a day's gone by where we haven't talked about yesterday, the tragic story of a four-month-old baby um, being injured and critically assaulted and the charges that were laid against someone on manslaughter. Uh, you see the faces of police officers. You talked about them being overtaxed. You talk about paramedics being uh, just driven you know, to the ground with the work that they have to do, nurses in the front lines. And so on one hand, you have all our first responders overstressed, and then you have the public who's dealing with this. And I'm trying to figure out sometimes how to find that balance between recognizing that person that I might encounter if I've been a victim of crime or if I'm in a hospital is human too. It might be feeling the very same things I'm doing and just the overall idea of the burden that they're put under in this, these very, what to me feels like just extraordinary times. Yeah, absolutely. Um, most people don't say I actually worked in the hospital system for about 10 years. Um, so I think there's a difference between the people and the system. And I think we need to think about that. A lot of the times people feel a great deal of frustration with the system, but they don't recognize that there are people who work very hard within that system. There's not a first responder. There's not a poli- I work a lot with police officers. Uh, I work a lot with uh, other physicians, other psychologists. I got to tell you, there's not a first responder that I am aware of that isn't that hardworking. You know, that there is a great sense of responsibility that comes with being that kind of an individual. And we take it to heart. Every single person that I know who works in, it, with other people takes it to heart and they carry it home. Uh, I know physicians who are working very late. You know, people think, well, physicians got a slack job. They're working late. They work hard. They work hard for what they make. And a lot of people think that they haven't really, you know, that they get an easy job. It's not. My brother's a physician. I got to tell you, that man is up, you know, responding to patients at three or four in the morning. He gets home at eight or nine at night and then will wake up at, you know, one or two in the morning to get on call again too. Uh, I know family physicians and pediatricians who are running their clinics, you know, uh, early in the morning, ending late at day, taking those patients to count. And police officers who have to see the worst case situations. And nurses, the same thing. So I know personally, from my own experience from this work and from p- colleagues and people that I've worked with, this work is hard. And those first responders respond incredibly well. And, that, and it bears a burden. Uh, police officers, for example, I always say the occupational hazard is PTSD. Like guaranteed, hands down, at some point in time, you're going to have post-traumatic stress disorder if you're a police officer. That's just going to happen in time. Um, There is, however, the system. And I think, you know, we we were talking earlier about why involve government with celebrating holidays. Why are we looking at leadership to help with all this? Because the system will often restrict the people from being able to help. The tools we give them to deal with some of these problems. Well, okay, so I'll, I'll speak freely. Um... So I worked, I worked in the hospital setting for about 10 years. And, you know, that system burns you out. Like it was like, it was very hard. I mean, our wait list for mental health services, for psychological services, for somebody to be seen at an anxiety disorders clinic, the most common mental health condition in the world, up to 18 months. And now that's changed, that's changed. But, but not because there's been a reduction or a inc- reduction in people needing that or an increase of number of people addressing that. It's just... The people in the system have to work harder. And it just it is incredibly exhausting. And so the system doesn't often recognize. The system has limited resources. And that's where advocates, for example, uh, the Manitoba Psychological Society will, you know, as one example, work on advocating to have this, these services covered so to increase that. What happens, though, is that government and politicians, you know, with all due respect, um, don't often listen to the people who are doing the first-line work. And they don't often hear those experiences. Um, 
you know, you pardon my pessimism, but it gets frustrating when it's about just being elected and as about as opposed to making change. And so people are shafted on both ends, you know, both the public who need those services, but also the practitioners and the first responders who are actually having to do that work. And so what happens is when leaders don't do a good job, it pits those people against each other. Well, it doesn't only pit them against one another. The public has a certain conversation about who deserves what in terms yeah. of wages and holidays yeah. and benefits. Yeah. We're seeing it with police right now. Teachers and nurses get it all the time. Oh, they yeah. make way too... I know a teacher that does a bad job. Yeah. I know a nurse that manipulates her schedule so she never has to work a holiday. Yeah. We, 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 we really point those people out freely. Yeah. And I don't know what gives us that uh, freedom to do it, but we do it. Yeah. And, and I think what they're recognizing, what they're not recognizing is why, like, let's say somebody might be trying to get a day off or not work. It's because they work really hard and they need, the system burns them out. And we have to distinguish between the two. I urge people, if you want to make a change, speak to leadership. Dr. Raymond Abdurrahman with Clinic Psychology Manitoba and Winnipeg Love. Thank you very much for the visit as always, sir. Thanks for having me. We're going to introduce you to a man who is going to be playing at The Handsome Daughter. He's a comedian. And he's headlining tonight at The Handsome Daughter, which is located on Sherbrooke. So rather than explain to you who he is, let's just show you who he is, because we all very much enjoyed this. My grandpa, uh, he, likes to, he likes to complain, and I enjoy it because he's always, like, confusing. Because in one sentence, he'll be like, when I was a boy, whole days of work get you one dollar. And then the next sentence, he says the opposite. He's like, when I was a boy, bicycles only cost one (laughs) dollar. My grandpa, I think that's uh, how it evens out. I tell you, you went out there, you toiled in the field for a whole week. You got paid one nickel. (laughs) And then you took that nickel and you made a down payment on five acres. (laughs) His name is Charles Haycock. Home base is Edmonton, but he's not from around here, as we learned, so we're very excited to introduce you to Charles. Welcome to CJOB, Mr. Haycock. Hey, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. So we were listening to that clip, and we were wondering, is there an accent here? Because we knew you were from Western Canada, and we've learned that you are from very far away. Yeah, people say you just talk a little different. They can't point it out, but I, I was born in South Africa for... So I lived there for seven years, and then I came over to BC, and that, now I'm uh, stuck over in Edmonton. Uh, <laughs> Use that word that's, stuck That's how people proudly. talk there, man. They're like, listen, I came here, and I don't know why I haven't left, but I'm here. There's actually like a still in Edmonton uh, fad where everyone wears those shirts. But no, I actually love it there. Uh, I, ch- I do choose to live there. It's consensual. The shirt is the shirt is a consensual relationship. It's it not is, forced. Yes. There's a shirt that says still in Edmonton. Oh, everyone wears it. Yeah, and hoodies and shirts says still in Edmonton. Yeah, still here, don't know why. But then you defend it viscerally, viscerously, I'm sure. Like in Winnipeg, you're not allowed to insult Winnipeg, Oh, right? you're not. Okay. No, so you could, because you're a comedian, I suppose you can get away with it. <laughs> For a little while. We're allowed to insult it, but we love it. So that's why, that's why we're allowed yeah. to do it. I imagine Edmonton might be the same. Yeah, and I imagine both places, we know what we are. I don't think you can kind of uh, lie your way out of your, uh, you know... It's it is what it is, but it's uh, it's a uh, I like yeah I'll defend it for sure uh, while then making fun of it and then going back and forth. 
I love the uh, back in the day stories, like the one that we just played. Uh, you clearly, I'm just guessing here, had a special or have a special relationship with your grandfather. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, the, the grandparents' stories... They're not to not to you know uh, shed a, a bunch of comedic lies here, but some of them are based on my grandparents, and some are just based on old people that I've met throughout my time. And it's, <laughs> so grandparents is just a generic it's a, term. Yes, I mean I use it to save time uh, comedically, but it's it could be anyone's mom or dad. Uh, but yeah, it's uh, it definitely. I just I've always been like interested in spending time with old people because. They're either really funny and wacky, or or they say like crazy things, or they ha- actually have knowledge that I maybe need. <laughs> so I've been I've been harvesting those conversations for years, and uh, and it turns out I have some jokes about it. They're also brutally honest for the most part, right? Oh, like definitely. anyone who's it's like you hit past a certain age, and the filter just goes out right out the window, and it's like Grandma <laughs> says your hips are bigger than they used to be, and you're like, oh, I don't think we say yeah, it out loud. And she's like, I just did. We're I at just that stage, did. are we? Where you can say just whatever you want. So what's some of the best uh, best advice you've received uh, from uh, our older generation? Because <laughs> after, the, after spending as much time with my grandpa as I did, I look back and I go, he was right about just about everything. So um, what's one piece of advice that you've taken from your grandparents or their generation and made it a part of your life? Uh, give up early. <laughs> in what? What do we? Uh, what, oh, where does this apply? I think in every regard. I think uh, just don't expect anything out of life oh. because it, you know it all ends. Well, <laughs> uh, Grandpa always says, "How are you doing?" And he says, "You know the classic Grandpa line. Well, uh, they haven't buried me yet, or." I haven't read my name in the obituary, <laughs> so, you know. Set your expectations low, right? He's still alive. Yeah, so exactly. Th- there you go. Find you, This guy, he eats uh, crackers with ketchup on it, and he enjoys it. And like so soda it's crackers? Like soda crackers? Yeah, just like dry, unsalted crackers with ketchup. And uh, if, if, if I can find enjoyment out of that, then I think <laughs> I understand life. Well, on the subject of food, at the Handsome Daughter, inside the Handsome Daughter, is a food stand called Magic Bird Fried Chicken. And they were the winning restaurant last year in Fried Chicken Fest. And that's on this week. They have a taco, and the shell is made of fried chicken. What? That's <laughs> the entry. So are you going to try that? Man, this is a weird thing. I'm allergic to chicken. <laughs> Come on, Isn't not. that weird? Yeah, I am. I don't know yeah, if yeah. I've ever heard of that before. I don't know why I'm laughing. It just seems an, <laughs> a weird twist of fate that you're going to land in this place so with this great wanna, chicken. They want to kill me twice for making the shell also chicken. Like, uh, that's pretty funny. Yeah, so uh, I'm, I'm out there promoting this show at, at a place I could never go to myself. <laughs> I would never go there alone. But You talk a lot about, you just made the joke about your grandpa saying give up early or the lesson from, you know, some seniors <laughs> might be that. But that, that doesn't apply to comedy because if you want to go into the comedian field or be a comedian, you have to never give up. Like you have to work and work and work, right? So So you started, you have to give everything else up. (laughs) Right. You have to decide that you're going to invest and go all in. You started this, would you say fairly young or does that seem like a, you said 19 is when you got into this. Yeah, it's pretty young. I'd say most guys uh, don't, because for a long time, at least for me too, I didn't know it exists. I didn't know it is in a city that I could just go to a show an open mic and try it out. I just thought it was something on Netflix, you know? 
So uh, it took me a while to figure that out. But for most guys, they don't know for until they're 30 kind of thing. But um, yeah, I st I'm glad I found it early, something I liked. And, and so I could put time in and kind of get it, get it rolling. You mentioned Netflix, and for the longest time, it was basically one man who decided if you were ever going to make it in comedy. It was Johnny Carson. Oh, yeah, for sure. He was the yeah. eyes, the ears, the conscience of, of everyone in North America in terms of comedy. Now, you scroll through Netflix, and there are people that you have never, ever heard of with a Netflix special. Yeah. So is that encouraging for you <laughs> with regard to how many openings there might be on Mount Rushmore of yeah, comedy? If that nobody can get a special, I can get one. <laughs> <laughs> Does that help? I mean, it helps that I think comedy is way bigger, which is why like a late-night appearance wouldn't do anything, but also... Like late night viewership is down, so yeah, the whole industry's changed. But I think it's bigger, uh, which just generally makes it easier for people to uh, get work, kind of thing. Um, although, don't quote me on that because now thinking back, I think they did have a big boom in Johnny's era. But uh, it is way different. Whereas then, it it was kind of easier to navigate because it was either like um, you know get the late night show, work for that, or just fully give up, or just become a road comic, or whatever. Now it's like there's a hundred different things you could do, uh, you know, and Netflix is one avenue, but you can get a special on, what is it, uh, HBO. Dry Bar Comedy or, or yeah, HBO or, or Showtime. I don't know if Showtime's still doing them or uh, other, like, streaming services. There's, like, ten places you can go. So mm -hmm. it, I guess that's encouraging because if, if one group of executives doesn't like me, maybe the other one will. <laughs> yeah, um, that's a good point. Yeah. So the, you're doing the headline show at 8 o'clock, but then you're also participating in a battle royale. Tell us what that is. Oh, that's, uh, he, so there's different teams, and they all get pitted against each other. There's different, it's a battle royale, so all different challenges, like uh, the audience will pick some writing topics kind of thing, or, or there'll be some written out in a, in a hat that you choose from, and then you got to go write a set, come back with your team, duke it out. You got to make fun of the other team. It's, uh, I guess, pretty vicious, I'd say. Vicious. And, uh, yeah, but it's a, it's like a it's like a riff improvisation based, uh, you know. It's like a rap kinda, battle. You, you gotta break you gotta the other person it down. Oh, yeah, but face to face, you mean, right? But you don't mean mean. You just mean he oh. didn't, or does it get mean? It gets, I mean, it gets mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> mean Not things mean. are well, maybe mean. <laughs> <laughs> but the point is to be funny. But sometimes you got to be mean to get there. <laughs> so did you take that approach uh, from time to time? Anything. The limited exposure that we've had to you seems pretty positive, but there seems to be a lot of uh, currency in terms of being mean in comedy. Is that changing now with this whole woke movement? Oh, everyone's and, woke. And you, you have to you have to be uh, careful about what you say and who you put down and who you align yourself with. Um, I think I think that's sort of true. You have to be careful what you say, but it's like. Uh, if you start out as an offensive comedian or you're openly who you are from the beginning, like a, like a Jezelnik or like um, uh, certain, I mean, Stanhope's like that, although he doesn't really work for anybody, but then no one gets mad at you because you, or you were always that guy. It's like Kevin Hart was kind of this super positive upbeat, and then, he's, then they go back and he said something mean. It's like uh, he gets grilled for it. Which, uh, but it, it goes if, against his character. I guess that that's what I think. Yeah. But, um, yeah, because like, man, have you heard the things Jeselnik has said? I don't know if you know him, but he's just said the worst things you can 
think of. Like uh, you have to be creative to think of,、uh, you know. But that's his style of comedy, and no one, no one's mad at him. He's still out there doing his thing, touring, like doing TV. So, yeah, it's kind of a strange phenomenon, but I'm sure it'll pass too. I'm sure nice guys will get to say mean things soon enough. And you- that's kind of what I am. I think like I don't.、Uh, when I say it, sometimes it surprises people, but it's it's.、Uh, Um, you know, usually, in, like they can understand the the essence of my intention. I just saw something with Steve Martin the other day. He said that if if you're using if you swear in your act and the f word is the funny part of the joke, that then it's not really that funny. And so I think maybe the, the essence of when you're when you're being funny and quote unquote mean. If it's all about the mean, then at the end of the day, you're probably not all that funny. You've got to be able to to navigate those waters cleverly、yeah. and creatively. I think. Yeah, and well, the main thing also is、uh, is like the audience just has to sense that you you care, like that you're not at, that you are joking. Because if、right. you're mean and you're also not joking, then you're just mean. But yeah, it's just、uh, very much like. You'll see some guys get away with saying something and think like, "If I said that, that would never work." But you can send the audience knows kind of what's going on, and it's all this body language based type. Like you can't explain; it's just、well, it's like an aura. It. When the person walks in, you know that that's the that's the what they're going to give off. And、yeah, when it goes it, against it, that, as soon as they're on stage,、surprised. yeah, I've seen some guys. As soon as they walk on stage, like, ah,、oh, look at this guy, and then instantly making fun of some dude. But they love it because that's who this guy is. He just walked on stage with that, yeah. Charles Haycock is headlining the Handsome Daughter tonight at eight o'clock, and then there will be a battle royale where the teams will go head to head. Is that stressful, by the way? Like being given that assignment and say, come up with these jokes immediately. Uh, no man, like I'm a seasoned bomber, so if, if something goes wrong, I, I recover very fast. <laughs> <A> seasoned bomber. <laughs> yes, I've been bombing for years, so it doesn't scare me, you know. <laughs> Now there is a life lesson. <laughs> Give up early. Own it, baby. Own it. <laughs> Charles, pleasure to meet you. Thanks for coming to see、Th- us. Thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, appreciate it. Hey, thanks for listening to the Start Podcast. We are available on Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Subscribe now and never miss an episode. And if you like what you hear, rate the show, tell us what you think, and hey, even tell a friend about the podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Greg is at gmacwpg. That's G M A C K W P G. I am at Brett McGarry. B R E T T M E G A R R Y and Loren on Twitter is at McNab on Global and on Instagram at McNab on C J O B. Talk soon.